Hello there, and thanks for joining us uh, on the Pulse on the Join News channel. It's been another day of inquest into the alleged plot to oust uh, the Inspector General of Police, Dr. George Akufo Dampari, uh, with the National Security Minister and others appearing before the committee for an in camera hearing. We'll get you the very latest shortly uh, from Parliament and uh, also as we prepare for this year's uh, Ecobank Join News. Habitat Fair, we will tell you about 1.3 million unoccupied and how three regions account for more than 50% of the staggering vacant dwelling units. All coming up here on the program and when did you last eat any food prepared from the popular cooking uh, pot known as, uh, of course, uh, that is in, uh, will, uh Head into the details and get you the very latest uh, on the high levels, possibly, of lead poisoning that may be resulting uh, from the use of these cooking pots. And it's always a pleasure to be with you here on the polls. I am Lester Sugan. The polls, as always, is brought to you by Global Communities, Digging Lou, Affordable Safe Sanitation for all. Well, YouTube, Facebook, and also at myjoyonline.com. Thanks for joining us. Join us as independent, fearless, and credible. And uh, thanks for joining us. It's been another day of uh, questioning at uh, the Parliamentary Ad Hoc Committee uh, probing to an alleged plot to remove the Inspector General of Police, Dr. George Kufo Dampari. Today, though, uh, that inquest uh, was behind closed doors as the National Security Minister and the IGP, uh, as well as four other witnesses, uh, made appearances before the Atatia Committee. Uh, first, though, a recap of what transpired yesterday when the Inspector General of Police appeared before this ad hoc committee. The point I'm trying to make is the fact that we are all human beings. And at times, these things happen. You may have all what it takes to handle all the situation. But when you are speaking to a matter and the feeling of how you feel comes on board, it's normal. And the most important thing is that I understand all the issues you are raising, and I'm in sync with it because I'm a true Christian. Now, you have a working relationship with Chief Bugri Nabu. Honorable Chair, I do not have a working relationship with him. Probably my brother wanted to say I'm the best and he missed it. <laughs> because the records are there for everybody to see. 
the beauty of mankind is that everybody has an opinion and you can express it in any form or shape, but that has not changed the facts. And this is the point, Honorable Chair. Since my colleagues and I, and the rest of the commands across the country, had opportunity by the grace of God and the honor done me by His Excellency the President, Nana Adudanko Ekufuadu, we committed ourselves to transforming the organization to become the best in the country and a reference point for Africa and beyond in a teamwork fashion based on Genesis 1, 26. So we've been granted that I'm the West. Then all of us collectively are the West, including probably my brother who was serving in that capacity as member of the team that I led. I lead, I lead. So I think it was a slip of tongue on his part. And I would tell you the most important thing is this. Election involves so many stakeholders and each one has its role and the police also has its role an election is a simple matter where each stakeholder play its role and collectively we end up ensuring that it is over and the people then decide who becomes the leaders so nobody has some supremacy in terms of when it comes to his or an entity or an institution, when it comes to its role in ensuring that election are successfully. As far as I'm concerned, all the stakeholders have to play their role. And the point is that because each role is unique, you cannot even compare to see who one, which one is on top and which one is not. So as far as I'm concerned, all the stakeholders have critical roles to play and ensuring that our elections are successful. Honorable Chair, at the time that they were making it, without a shred of evidence. And Honorable Chair, those wide allegations without a shred of evidence has brought a lot of pain to myself, my family across the country, and especially my wife and children that you are so patriotic because you believe in what you call Pan-Ghanianism, where you think that because of your multi-ethnic nature, everybody you see as long as the person is a Ghanian is your brother or a sister, mother or father, uncle or auntie. Then the pain also to my command, my leaders, my team that we work together that you all know, and the pain to the thousands of police people who are appreciating the strides that we are making in transforming the organization to be the best institution in the country and a reference point for the rest of the world. They came, made all these allegations in order to cover up probably the shame and sweater of what they got themselves involved in in the first place. And I, an innocent person, focusing on my job, working in concert with my team and all commands across the country to keep the country safe and make it to be at peace for itself. I've been asked to come and answer to these allegations.
uh, as a sort of activities uh, which transpired in the last uh, 24 hours. But now there's an update. Uh, let's uh, cross over now to uh, Parliament House, where, of course, uh, these proceedings are uh, proceeding for today. Interesting way of putting it, but uh, Samuel Mbura, my colleague, is uh, there for us monitoring all of the developments. I mean, just bring us up to speed with, uh, you know, some of uh, the bits and pieces of what we're hearing uh, as fallouts from today's uh, in camera. Well, blessed. So the in-camera hearing has ended for today. Um, the National Security Minister, Albert Kandapa, was the one who appeared before the committee. He came without our notice and left without our notice. But he spent about one hour before the committee testifying. The reason he appeared before the committee is the fact that his ministry, according to the committee, had already launched investigations into the leak tape, and some of the witnesses were already invited uh, for scrutiny. So uh, his presence was to help them unravel some of the, the truths in the allegations for them to have a flawless uh, report. So after the engagement with the committee, in which the committee chairman said it had been fruitful, he presented a paper. So the committee was expecting that he would tender that in as evidence. But he said because of national security consequence, he may not be able to tender that in. So um, they were done with him and he left. So four of the uh, witnesses appeared before the committee. We had Superintendent uh, George Sari. We had COP Alex Mensa. We also had uh, Eric um, COP, I mean, Chief uh, Superintendent uh, Eric Emmanuel Jebi. And the chief witness, Daniel Bugrenabu. Unfortunately, they were not scrutinized on their evidence um, before the committee. Uh, we're told that um, they have agreed that on the 2nd of October, the sitting will resume. So IGP Dr. Kufudampari was not able to be part of this particular meeting or this um, session because we're told he had an equally important National Security Council meeting that he couldn't have abandoned to come for the committee's meeting. So um, he wasn't here for the hearing, but he was represented by his lawyers um, that were led by uh, lawyer Kwame Jan. Uh, after the, in, I mean, the, the engagement with the committee, uh, I spoke to lawyer Kwame Jan. He wouldn't talk to me the details about it. He only told me that uh, no further comments. However, they are ready to come on the 2nd of October for it. Same as the lawyer for Superintendent George Sari, uh, Mr. Alfred uh, Papa Dakwa, that they are satisfied with the processes so far. Uh, fortunately, on my part, I was able to catch up with COP Alex Mensah, the main man at the center of this leak tape. Uh, we know he'll be going for, uh, going for retirement uh, by the close of this week, because we're told around 16, between 16 to 17, he should be going on retirement. So uh, by the close of this week, he should be going on retirement. But he told me that he is not perturbed at all. He has a solid case, and Ghanaians will know the truth on the 2nd of October or when they start scrutinizing the allegations or the evidence that he's going to put um, before them. So um, all parties have spoken to us, but they wouldn't want to go into the substantive issues about the allegations and all that. So after this meeting, um, the chairman of the committee, Samuel Atashia, came to address the media, and then he spoke about the fact that I actually 
ask that specific question as to where this second tape is coming from. You know, the reason they had to adjust some of its seating was the fact that they had a second tape coming in and they had to scrutinize it. So I asked that question uh, to find out the source of the second tape. He confirmed to me that the second tape is coming from Chief Buguri Nabu, the star witness in this case. So this second tape uh, captures the conversation that Chief Bugri Nabu had with um, his, the accusers of the IGP at his office in Osu. Uh, so they have furnished all the uh, parties involved with the necessary proceedings and transcri uh, transcriptions of this, and they expect that the next sitting there will not be objections about the tape and all that. So, uh, yes, it has now been revealed, uh, contrary to earlier... Um, I mean, resistance by the committee to tell us the second, the source of the second tape. You know, there is also this video uh, that has, or purportedly, uh, has a voice of Buri Nabu alleging that he has been paid 10,000 Ghana cities from the office of the IGP, and also some contracts have been awarded to him by the IGP. We know the IGP has denied all these claims flatly, but the committee chairman said, if need be, they are going to scrutinize any material that is available or relevant uh, to this um, leaked tape thing. So uh, it is going to take a wider uh, coverage. And going forward, they're going to have a five consecutive times sitting on this case. And all these sittings will be in camera. So at the moment, we've closed proceedings for today. And we are expected to resume uh, monitoring of these proceedings on the 2nd of October, 2023. Bless it. Okay, uh, quite a long break for, for the committee itself, but someone who are joining us live from uh, Parliament. I, I want us now to listen to COP uh, Alex Mensah, who's been reacting to some of the concerns and follows from today's meeting. You are done with the scrutiny today? I'm sorry. You are done today? Yeah, we're done. We are done. Yes. The IGP didn't come? Yes, he did. The National Security Minister did, uh, appeared before the committee. Yes, I told you that I want to speak for me. Have you have you presented your evidence? No. Why? They didn't give you the opportunity. They've not even started. No. So who did they deal with? I've told you I don't want to make any comment. But you're a strong man. Why wouldn't you want to talk? You're a strong man. You're a strong man. We know that you are. Yes, I will not make. You are the blunt type. So whatever you see, you say. That I will not make comment on this issue. So we will take it that today was the preliminary of the. I don't know. I don't know. You can get these answers from the parliamentary select committee. Are you happy? Are you happy with the process so far? You are happy with the process. Have you? Do you think you have been given a fair hearing on this? Very, So we should be expecting. Perfect. Very fair. Perfect. We should be expecting solid evidence yes, from you. Yes. Is your evidence ready? Everything is ready. Everything is ready, including what? Including what? <laughs> I'm not ready to comment on anything. I only tell you everything is ready. That's it. I see. What is that one? I think you see. What is that one? The process is everything is going on well. Everything is going on well. So when are we, when are we expecting you? Second of October, you should be coming before the committee. Yeah. All right. Thank you. What, what's your message to Ghanaians? I don't know. I don't want to speak now. Ghanaians are willing to hear from you. The truth will come out. The truth? Yes. From COP Alex Mensah? Yes.
Okay, uh, the truth, he says, will stand. Uh, but how about the lawyers of the IGP who uh, equally appeared before the committee today? Uh, we can listen to some of them. When are you coming again? We are coming back second, third, fourth, fifth. Wow. And sixth of uh, with This is yeah, my IGP staff will be coming? All the days, five days. Okay. Five days, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh. Okay, so good time now to bring in Emmanuel uh, Koteng, Executive Director for the Africa Center for Security and uh, Counterterrorism. Thank you, sir, for spending some time with us. Uh, fast developing issue, but now it's on ice, isn't it? Uh, knowing that um, the committee has uh, some break period uh, up until um, next month, uh, at least, uh, to resume hearing. So within this period, what's your expectation, first of all, uh, from the committee and also from the Inspector General of Police, who has been... Uh, you know, accused of uh, a number of issues, uh, including the fact that he's not leading the police service in the direction it should be going. Well, bless and thank you for having me. Very good afternoon to your cherished listeners. In fact, I've always maintained that the future is so pregnant and there will be a lot of interesting revelation ahead. And you see the proceedings on ice now, just like you mentioned. I think the committee will go into conclave and redesign the way they approach this delicate issue that have very serious national security implications. I think the committee might also look at other videos that have that are coming up. And uh, I will urge them to take interest in such videos because the persons identified before the audios or the videos, some of them are before the committee, but others are not. Especially the video that seeks to purport the allegation from a voice that Buru uh, Nabu takes 10,000 cities from the police and that of the contract. I, I think we should be interested in that too. I also want to bear the mind of the committee to one other thing. We should be interested in the leak, the source of the leak. And you know Star Abram broke this news. So if you are able to identify that, we can trace the trail. And that will be very significant in terms of evidence before the committee. Don't forget, Dumpire is not on trial. I think the Sorry, sir, for... as an institution is on trial. Yeah. Sorry for cutting through. I'm just asking the question. What, what will be the relevance anyway? Now the audio is in the public domain. The substance of the matter is to try and uh, verify the, I mean, the audio uh, issues of um, you know, whether or not these were the exact claims that were made and to proceed with remedial measures. Why go back, trail, or perhaps track, in your words, uh, the source of this uh, leaked audio? What would be the relevance, sir? Because of investigations, you need all this trail to be able to make a, a, a very pronounced judgment of a recommendation that will be fair to both parties. And you see the videos I'm talking of that is where Buru Nabo was caught saying that he received 10000 from the IGP and the contract issues also emanated from that video. So that should be a source of concern and of interest to the committee because this video is in the public space and it's creating a lot of misinformation.
So I think in criminal jurisprudence or for the fair play of investigative investigation, it's proper that they put all this evidence into perspective in their way. You also made mention about some of the things that the Inspector General of Police have been accused of. You see, the Ghana Police Service is a regimental institution. We must make that very clear. And in regimental institutions, it's not like other public institutions that gives a way for the kind of dissent we are getting uh, with the uh, situation before us now. And we must also get one thing very clear. In human resource management, it cannot be said that when there's change of leadership, it is natural that certain changes will be done to help the head of such an institution to deliver his mandate. But it cannot be said that such changes will provoke the kind of upheavals we have in the Ghana Police Service now. And look, I have spoken to rank and file within the service. The allegations are so damning. And I think that it's only proper that the country will take stock and make use of this opportunity that is before us to engineer security reforms. Don't forget, I don't remember the last time we had security sector reforms within our security agencies, not only the police. And you know our democracy has evolved over a period, and I think that some of the security acts needs a look at so that it can be in tandem with our democracy or our constitution. What are the issues? What are the allegations? You see, yesterday, they asked him about his idea of centralizing information within the service. And he's claimed that it was in line with international best practice. And I strongly disagree with that. And this afternoon, I listened to the midday news where you spoke to a BBC correspondent using Scott Kleinyard as an example. The journalist should equally have used the Metropolitan Constable because they are in charge directly with the internal security of the state mm-hmm. equivalent to our police here. Yeah. And I have not seen anywhere that uh, 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 we are looking at decentralizing our police service. That was where the concept of community policing came about, that you decentralize information. I come from Sabuba in the northern region. Why should it be the case that an event will happen in Sabuba? And the commander in Saboba cannot speak to the issues. It has to come to Accra. And look at the bureaucratic nature of our system. He mm. rather did the opposite. He rather decentralized intelligence. You understand? Okay. And I feel that intelligence is just the matter of collecting information. It's how you manage saying. So it is intelligence rather than should centralized and he centralized the information flow within the service. Okay, the, the feeling said, now is the feeling now yeah, is that the, that the committee um, is probably prolonging, um, you know, rift and the tension within the service by you know further postponing this matter to October uh, two. The feeling is why not deal with this expeditiously? Have uh, you know all the matters resolved 
uh, in the shortest possible time, knowing that there are implications for national security? Not at all, blessing. You see, this is a very delicate issue. And if you look at the issues, I think we need all the time and patience to digest the issues properly, make sure we are fair to all, all parties within uh, uh, the, the divide. Don't forget, uh, uh, as part of the attempts of reference, they are supposed to make recommendations. And if you look at the heart of the upheavals within the service, there are issues that have to do with their welfare promotions and other things. And I think that it's only fair that we give the committee an output time to do it properly. But listen, let's look at this thing this way. What would the outcome of this committee finding be, really? It can go beyond parliament. So to me, I think that I agree with my other colleagues who are calling for a national commission of inquiry, probably headed by a high court judge or an appeals court judge, so that we can diagnose the problems very well. Look at yesterday. We had the IGP crying before the cameras because he feels that he has not been properly treated. But I think that it was very unfortunate for him to cry before the committee because the committee, for lack of any better expression, had rather provided him a platform to rebut many of these allegations that has been leveled against him. And let us make one thing clear, blessing. The personality of the IGP is not on trial at all. It is the office of the IGP. And you see yesterday, when he appeared before the committee, as a requirement, all the former members came with him. That is why it is a regimental institution. So for him to have used the presence of the former members as a, 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 a fiat for his team place, I think it was so disingenuous. It is like the President of the Republic appearing before Parliament on a treasonable investigative kind of thing like we have before us and the Cabinet Ministers will not come with him. Having said that, uh, 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 a blessing, you see, why are we investigating this thing? We have to get that right. Because there was an allegation that a senior police uh, uh, commissioner is alleging that somebody is an NDC sympathizer, and then when he's allowed to remain in office, it will give the uh, 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 MPP the opportunity to rig the elections. Okay. Naming people and tagging people as MPP is not new within the service. And I can give you two examples. You know this COP Garba. This COP Garba has remained in his run for over five years now. He had a job to do with UN. He was refused release by this current IGP and tack him as an NDC commissioner who was going to make money and come and lobby for the IGP. So it means that all these things are not new within the system. It is as old as the system itself. And COP members should not be hanged for being bold to come out to speak about it. 
at least it has afforded us an opportunity to look at reforms within the service. Okay. We'll see uh, if these uh, reforms will happen. Grateful uh, for spending some time with us. Uh, Emmanuel Kote. Well, it's been uh, a long uh, and difficult three years, but today the Ghana Education Services it has successfully restored the education calendar uh, to pre-COVID times. Well, there's a statement uh, coming through uh, from the Ghana Education Service indicating that schools will resume uh, for new uh, academic uh, year uh, on October 3. So the statement, excerpts of it, you have on, on your screens right now. In fact, that's the entire statement as, as we speak, pointing to the fact that uh, management of the Ghana Education Service uh, wishes to inform the general public uh, that um, reopening date for the basic schools, that's uh, KG Primary and Junior High Schools across the country, uh, for first term of 2023-2024 academic year is uh, 3rd of October 2023. This brings back the academic calendar uh, back to pre-COVID-19 uh, period, and we wish to also convey to all teaching and non-teaching staff uh, the sincere appreciation of management for the immense support during uh, our efforts to ensure teaching and learning during the difficult period of our uh, country. By this letter, the Regional Directors of Education are requested to communicate the date to all the MMDEs, uh, that's the Municipal a metro district directors of education uh, to inform all heads of basic schools to bring to the attention of parents and guardians uh, and students to take note to prepare accordingly for a smooth and effective academic work. And uh, that's uh, the statement being signed by uh, Dr. Kwabna Bempatando, who's a director, a deputy uh, director general uh, for the service. Okay, now uh, let's hear from uh, Kwesi Kwating, who's a spokesperson for the Education Ministry, joining us now. Uh, it's good that um, all of this is coming to pre-COVID uh, era, but then the question about, uh, you know, forging ahead. What concrete structures uh, are being put in place now by the Ministry to uh, sustain the gains that you've been able to make over the years? All right, thank you very much, and then good afternoon to you and your viewers. I mean, definitely we are aware that... Uh, uh, Pre-COVID, uh, we had uh, a, an academic calendar that was rolled out, and uh, that began from September to July, in terms of uh, the starting point of the academic calendar. Uh, but of course, uh, due to the disruptions occasioned by uh, the COVID and the fact that we almost uh, spent almost a year in the house, and the fact that we needed to make some adjustments and and get the uh, instructional hours. I mean, we are all very much aware that there were some difficulties and uh, kind of some change and some irregular calendar that we were following. Uh, but uh, recall also that we we made a promise and assured the general public that within a space of three years, we we're going to work to revert it. And that is why we are here now. Uh, nothing uh, basically is going to change when it comes to the instruction and the instruction hours. It's just that because it's, it's always been... Uh, 14, 13, 13, or 14, 13, 14. I mean, particularly if you look at within the academic year, we had about 39 weeks that, that students are supposed to be in school and study. In between these 39 weeks, we have divided it into first term, second term, and third term. And it's important that I add that when it comes to uh, this conversation, we are referring to the basic school that is from KG up to the JHS level. 
Uh, so we are just by this communicate uh, saying and like once again assuring parents that we are uh, reverting or we've been able to revert to uh, the old times where uh, school began largely in September, October. This essentially means that we are going to have our first term and also school reopening in 3rd of October and then they will close somewhere around December. And of course, when you look at the second term to essentially, uh, students are also going to enjoy like three months, that is January to March. And then, of course, uh, we begin again in April. And then, of course, uh, from April, which is the third term, where it begins also to uh, somewhere July. And then, so this essentially means that students and teachers are now going to enjoy the uh, long vacations, which uh, was almost seven to eight weeks that they used to have uh, previously. So it's just, uh, uh, how do you call it, a revert to the old normal that we used to know. And uh, essentially, it's also an invitation for us to say thank you to our dear cherished teachers and the students uh, who are to improvise and, and <laughs> a lot of times have to uh, uh, forfeit most of their, how do you call it, uh, most of their uh, uh, vacations. Because a lot of them had uh, shorter vacations. But this time around, because we have uh, been able to revert to the normal or the old normal, uh, we should say that we want to thank them. And uh, from, from the 3rd of October, we are beginning the 2023-2024 academic year. How about arrangements for the uh, for, for those in junior high school, the BECE? Uh, are you doing any changes about that? Uh, in terms of students, I, I mean, if you are very, if you can be specific. With yeah, the yeah in terms of, of, of the timeline or the dates, um, because uh, there was some adjustment to that as well, I believe. Yes, so as soon as this uh, reverse uh, back to the old normal, essentially we are going to go by that calendar, not the one that we are witnessing now. Uh, so essentially, I mean, the previously, the times that we used to write BEC, that is where we are going to write. It won't be. So essentially, all what we, we used to, in terms of the academic calendar, we used to know in the past, where school began in September and then ends in somewhere uh, June, July, that is what we are going to do. I mean, so what it means is that in terms of uh, BEC, of course, I mean, this conversation is also at the basic school level. Everything is going, it has, has reverted to uh, the previous uh, arrangement that all, we all used to, including even the BEC. Because, I mean, there wouldn't be any point, there wouldn't be any point that you change the, the schedule of BEC whilst the academic calendar has reverted to the old normal. COVID-19 has uh, posed significant challenges. It's also presenting an opportunity to learn. Uh, what has the service learned from all of this and what, what sort of lessons are you picking from the uh, pre or, I mean, the pandemic era uh, just to influence reform going forward? Yes, obviously. Uh, I mean, yes, it has its own pros and cons. I mean, the, 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 the cons largely had to do with the disruptions that uh, were within the calendar and the fact that we all needed to adapt. But also have some positive outcomes that we've all learned. I mean, today we are having a conversation largely when it comes to e-learning. Uh, today, if you look at, let's say, an agency like Sendloss, it's, it's never been improved and retooled and uh, uh, improved like never before. Uh, now, uh, IT, or how do you call it, uh, digital education is, 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 is now on the rise if you look at, for instance, interventions like Gallup, under the Gallup project, for instance, now you have head teachers and headmasters now uh, trained when it comes to the use of uh, uh, the use and adaptation to uh, digital education and digital learning. Today, we are talking about the 
uh, how do you call it, the iBox and the offline component and the fact that students can even learn without, uh, uh, I mean, necessarily uh, the, the assistance of even a teacher or without a teacher necessarily standing in front of them. So, I mean, these are all lessons that we need to improve on as a people and then and then and then make it uh, uh, how do you call it transform our education space uh, in all and speaking about the education sector uh, i'm sure that at the ministerial level as well there's some um, policy considerations and uh, much more you're willing to do um, as you go on this long vacation uh, to provide you the opportunity to reflect and to build on uh, you know the agenda of the ministry which is to increase access and, and improve quality uh, across the country. How are you going about that and what plans do you have for the future? Are you asking on reforms at the ministry? Uh, probably the there are some, some you know, uh, policies in the pipeline aimed at improving quality, I believe. Uh, oh, of course, I mean, you and I are very much aware that education is largely centered on three key variables, access, uh, uh, quality and and then relevance. The fact that access and quality, when you marry it, marry it, it has to have an impact on our socioeconomic transformation. And so clearly, if there is no uh, how do you call it uh, quality education, there is no way we are going to have uh, education having an impact on our socioeconomic transformation. I mean, it is a more reason why you have always heard the minister for education saying that uh, we cannot memorize uh, our, our, our way out of poverty and the kind of education that we, we know is not education that solves societal problems, that makes students assertive, that makes students critical thinkers. And so you are very much aware that in terms of even the reform implementation from the basic level, we've revised and reviews and implemented right. a new curriculum. Also at the SHS level, I mean, if you look at uh, administration, for instance, largely, I mean, the government had largely promised free SHS. But in addition, you had the Minister for Education also single-handedly spearheading uh, STEM education, which is, I mean, the order of the day, because in the 21st century uh, revolution, in the 21st century world, at no point can you, uh, how do you call it, train students to solve societal problems if they, are, they do not have knowledge in STEM. And so, yes, uh, largely the reforms is, is, is centered on realigning and repositioning uh, the educational system to make sure that we meet the 21st century demands. Uh, we wait to see what then happens in the coming uh, year. Uh, but of course, uh, it's something we're all looking up to. Thank you, Kwesi Kwating, for spe- spending some time with us. Thank you. Uh, he's the spokesperson for the Ministry of Education. Now to the economy. Uh, inflation slumping for the very first time to its lowest point in this year, 401 is the figure that we're dealing with, but it appears that uh, food inflation remains uh, on the surge. Why is this happening? Let's listen to the government statistician, uh, Professor Samolinim, announcing that earlier today. Line figure for August 2023 rate of inflation stood at 40.1%, indicating that between August 2022 and August 2023, prices of goods and services generally have went up by 40.1% over the one-year period. That is between August 2022 and August 2023, general prices of goods and services went up by 40.1%. While we continue to see higher rates of inflation, this is the first time that we've seen a slowdown in the rate of increase in our rate of inflation. Last month, July 2023, the rate of inflation stood at 43.1%, and this was on the back of consistent increases in the rate of inflation in the last five months, and 
we now seeing a slowdown in the rate of increase by 3.0 percentage points, with the rate of inflation slowing down from 43.1 percent in July 2023 to 40.1% in August 2023. Based on the disaggregations from a food and non-food perspective, we recorded a 21 percentage point difference between food inflation and non-food inflation, with food inflation 51.9% for the month of August 2023 and non-food inflation 30.9%. Respectively, food inflation and non-food inflation have slowed down by 3.1% and 2.9%, given the rates that were recorded for July 2023. Further disaggregating the headline figure of 40.1% for inflation on imported items and inflation on locally produced items. Inflation on locally produced items stood at 42.4% for the month of August 2023, relative to 86.2%. 36.2% for inflation on imported items for the month of August 2023. In the last 12 months, is the first time we've seen a higher rate of inflation for locally produced items relative to inflation for imported items. From a geographic point of view, we identified the, the Northeast region recording the highest rate of inflation of 60.1% and the Greater Accra region recording the least rate of inflation of 31.8% for the month of August 2023. Inflation for the, from the perspective of month-on-month -month inflation, we recorded deflation of 0.2% for the month of August 2023. Disaggregating this from a food and non-food perspective, both food and non-food inflation recorded a deflation of 0.3% and 0.2% for the month of August 2023. Also, uh, government solicitation process uh, similarly mean, uh, announcing that uh, earlier today. Uh, what's the implication and why are we seeing a surge when it comes to uh, food inflation? Joining us now is the head of, uh, uh, of course, uh, data analyst uh, Isaac Kofiaji, who is with our research desk, uh, joining us uh, with more uh, on the figures that we're seeing, the lowest um, ever since we started this year. Uh, but for those of us who, of course, go to the markets... <laughs> There'll still be complaints slightly about because of the pricing. Absolutely. That's why we have to appreciate uh, this inflation as, you know, an average and then also testing your back basket of goods that mm -hmm. you consume as an ordinary or an average Ghanaian. In fact, it is always important to compare this year on year and see the trend as to whether we are going forward or we are actually, you know, going back. In terms of we have a target. We had a target of right. eight September 2022. So this is a one-year period, and this is the lowest in 12 months. Significant news, very positive news for the economy. And because it's one of the indicators, some of the things that when you have an, an IMF program, you should expect to improve is inflation rates. Your currency must uh, be stabilized, and then also you must um, have an improvement in your import cover and then also uh, your international reserve. So positive news over there. But it is interesting when the government's decision was speaking, he said something, I don't know if you really paid attention, he said that Northeast region is a region 
with the highest inflation currently. I see. The headline inflation is 40.1, but in Northeast, inflation is currently around 60.1%. And if you look at Greater Accra, we all know inflation in Greater Accra should, um, you know, when we are talking about the usual suspect in terms of who, which region has the highest inflation, which should include Greater Accra. But now it's one of the regions with the, the least or the lowest inflation in August 2022. So some positive news. Yeah. But it will be interesting to know why Northeast <laughs> region is currently... Is this indeed? Uh, but, but if you look at the yeah. entire picture, and, and of course you have uh, excerpts of that on your screens right now, uh, and undulating you yeah. know, trend yeah. Yeah. Of, of how the figures appear to be behaving. Um, 33.9 as of uh, August 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the same period um, this year. Mm-hmm. And if you compare, know, you see it's a little bit it's high. Yeah. That's 40.1. In August last year was around... A thirty point, I think thirty point nine or so. Yeah. yeah. So, so you just look at that constant surge yeah. and you know yeah. deep of the of the figures. What's really accounting for this? Uh, is there any explanation from this? Well, of course, uh, some of the items with very you know um, heavy weight in terms of inflation continues mm-hmm. to be food and non-alcoholic beverage, housing and utilities, and also transport. Yeah. Maybe we are not seeing the frequent increments in transport fares, but it's one of the you know, items with very high, you know, weight on inflation, around 10.2%. But interestingly, blessed, when we talk about inflation, it's always good to disaggregate so that the ordinary Ghanaian can, you know, um, resonate with the figures that we are actually speaking about. So headline inflation is 40.1. But if you look at inflation for an item or a food item like dog meat, Dog meat inflation is around 97.8%. Right. Headline is 40. You have dog meat inflation being around 97.8%. Now, if you look at inflation rates for um, you know, fish, sea, you know, from, from the sea, uh, it's around 76.8%. Tomatoes is around 74.8%. Rice, local rice inflation is around 73.5%. Crab, those, who, those of us who love... To me, I'm an Adventist, so yeah. I mean, it's you love that a lot. No, no, I don't really. Okay, I get it. But people love to take crab. You know, they love to have it in their okros. Yeah, and all of that. Yeah, inflation is around seventy-three percent. Toothpaste inflation is around seventy-two point seven percent. Amani or herring is around seventy-one point eight percent. Baby food and fathers and mothers, baby food is still very expensive. It's around 71.2%. And palm oil is around 70.2%. And ready-made clothing for boys still remains very high with an inflation rate of 70%. So these are the top 20 items probably that the Ghana Sascore Service One policy, uh, you know, um, wants us to engage properly and, and also use for us uh, as a policy engagement tool and all of that. So these 20 items all recorded inflation rates Above the headline figure of 40.1%. Uh, Isaac Ufiaje bringing us uh, the latest uh, on that. Uh, let's, uh, of course, hear from uh, economist Dr. Patrick Isumi, who's joining us now. Uh, Doc, you know, the latest figures that we're seeing now, uh, what, what will be, you know, the impact on our pockets? Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon to the US. Thanks for having me. So, I think. First of all, we have to understand that the inflation is, is a backward-looking measure. So it's not something that is coming up. 
So it's something that you've already experienced because the 40 plus percent that you see is the rate of change between uh, August this year and August last year. But in terms of what it means for the overall stability of the economy and where we are, well, so the number is a reduction, which generally is, uh, for me, is a little bit of a pleasant surprise. I wasn't expecting that uh, the inflation number will go down at this point. So overall, it doesn't mean that, the reduction doesn't mean that prices are falling. Prices are still rising, except that compared to the previous month, prices are not rising as fast. So we shouldn't misconceive that to mean uh, things are getting better. Uh, rather, uh, well, rather, what's the reality, sir? Well, so the, the simple reality is that <laughs> the rate at which prices are rising is, has slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Things are still getting more expensive. But except that compared to previous month, it is not getting as expensive as it used to be. So we shouldn't think that uh, the reduction means uh, there's more uh, purchasing power has increased or anything like that. That's not the case. Uh, and Professor Lord Mensah is also joining the conversation, Prof. Um, the opinion of Dr. Patrick assuming the fact that, yes, the figure uh, might look good on paper, except that we need to uh, exercise some caution. But what do you also think about the figures? Yeah, I mean, uh, numerically, uh, it's showing a downwards I mean, signal. I mean, inflation, I mean, dropping from 43 point something to 40.1. I mean, it shows that um, general price levels as compared to uh, August 2022 has generally, I mean, increased by 41%. And so um, that's a signal. But then also we may have to look at how this is related to investment. You know, treasury bill rate as we speak now is around 30 point something percent. And so we still, you know, um, seeing that negative real value on investment. And as a result of that, we shouldn't, you know, jubilate that much, you know, when it comes to um, this reduction. Until we see inflation running apart with investment rate, we cannot, you know, um, I mean, keep our hands in the air and be jubilating as if um, we've achieved something. So what I would say is that numerically, I mean, we see reduction. But then its economic impact, uh, we're not going to feel it yet. I mean, prices are still, you know, going up as uh, Patrick has indicated. And uh, just that the speed at which, I mean, it is going up has reduced, you know. And uh, But then the worrying aspect of our inflation is um, the way food infl- inflation keeps on driving, you know, the inflation numbers. Um, you see, for every country to be comfortable, even in our households, if you your kids are going to behave very well, you should always have food in the house. If you have food in the house, I mean, you're going to have very, you know, kids that will keep to your home because um, they always get food to eat. What I would advise is that going forward, policies should be geared towards, you know, the staples. Because if you look at the food aggregation, I was looking at the presentation, tubers, cereals, and all those uh ones that we consume, I mean, every now and then, are the ones causing, you know, this inflation drive. And so if government should roll out any policy, I would say that, yeah, they should target, you know, cereal. I mean, if for nothing at all, rice, you know, should be on the market 
maize should be on the market, looking at um, the tubers as well. So from where I sit, yes, I mean, numerically, we've seen a reduction, but its economic impact will not be felt. Um, looking at, you know, the investments, uh, returns relative to the inflation recordings that we have. Okay. Uh, and, and that's why I believe uh, policies such as the planting for food and jobs uh, would have to come in and be strengthened. But uh, Dr. Patrick, assuming beyond, you know, the PFJ2, um, w- what other policy measures would you want to see at least to address that? So I think if you, if you do the disaggregation by um, local inflation on local items and inflation on imported items, you, you see that the inflation on local items it's way higher. And also, it's been trending up. In the last three readings or so, you see that each successive month, the inflation on imported items is rising. So it gives you a signal that the, the overall cost of doing business in this country is rising. And I think we need holistic measures to address that. I agree with a uh, lot about having to do, do more, doing more investment in the, in the food, in the food production chain. But we have to understand that it's a whole chain. We can't say we are supplying fertilizers or we are providing inputs, and that will lead to increased production. And we don't do anything about the distributional side. Because if the roads are not good, and we don't have more storage chains, and we don't have faster and better means of distributing the food by way of road and rail network, the cost of food on the farm, at the farm gates might be lower, but the cost of food in markets will still be high. And I think it's one of the challenges that, you know, we saw in the first phase of the planting for food and jobs, where the former Greek minister would say, well, food production is increasing, talking from the point of view of the farm gate. But then, if it's so expensive, because fuel is expensive, and uh, it's difficult to get trucks to cut the food from the production side to the market, their food prices may still go up. So I think we need to have a more holistic approach to addressing the inflation. Mm. There is, you know, so we know currently under the IMF program, utility prices are also going up. All of those are adding to the cost of production. So we shouldn't really expect that uh, we we'll get anywhere near the, the medium-term target of 6 to 10%. I think food pri- prices are going to remain high. Inflation is going to remain high. And the food inflation is also going to remain high because the food inflation we see now is a reflection of the conditions at the previous planting season. Now we are harvesting. If you don't harvest enough, it's not something that we can really do anything about. So we really need to do the investment at the planting season to ensure that, you know, the productivity is high. And at the same time, when when we are doing that investment, we also think about the entire distribution chain. And Isaac, um, you know, there are more uh, figures that we should be paying attention to, especially the northeast that you're talking about. But beyond that, uh, what's also striking in this report? Well, of course, the northeast, for instance, these are regions that they have vast lands and probably some of the other regions have arable lands for planting, for food and jobs. Right. But I'm also looking at the data as uh, on the planting for food and jobs, for instance, between 2017 and 2022, when government actually carried the phase one of this planting for food and jobs, um, we've done the analysis and we've seen that government was spending on average 
somewhere 17 million dollars every year on the planting for food and jobs now before the pfj started food inflation in april 2017 before the pfj started was around 7.2 percent now six years later after we've enrolled you know roll out this um, planting for food and jobs mm-hmm. Food inflation has moved from that 7.2% in April 2017 to now 51.9% in August 2022. It means the situation has worsened. Food inflation has now increased by more than seven folds in this six year period that we, you know, enroll, we roll out this planting for food and job program. That's why I agree with Doug that yeah. it's a whole chain. Yeah. And so if you are just dealing with, you know, just uh, supplying fertilizers or just dealing with seedlings and not tackling other aspects, you you see the figures, you know, pointing out to you that maybe you are not tackling the whole chain. And if you don't do that, there's no way you are going to, you know, have your food inflation coming down. Uh, Professor, Professor Lord Mensah, how do we beat this curve down? Come again, please. I how do we beat well. the curve down? Right. Yeah, I mean, clearly it tells you that the, 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 the planting for food and jobs, you know, I mean, policy did not make impact. Because if you have a policy, you expect that the policy would turn around, you know, inflation. If there should be any indicator that would drive our inflation, it, should be, it shouldn't be food. I mean, looking at the, um, the policy that we've rolled out and the quantums of monies that we've pumped in there. I have always been, you know, um, saying that we we had, yes, on paper, planting for food and jobs, all right. But a lot of the monies went into more of capacity building and it was the hotels who were benefiting from, you know, the monies that were allocated for planting for food and jobs. So from going forward, I will suggest that, yes, uh, we should. I, I'm, I also, you know, I believe in the, a whole lot of a systemic approach where, I mean, you may not look at just the agriculture side, but then there are other factors that may also drive, you know, food inflation. So we should look at it holistically and then approach it, you know, as a system. And that should be able to, you know, solve the problem we're facing now. Mm. And for you, Dr. Patrick Isering, on the way forward? I think the way forward is, uh, you know, improve the overall business environment. I think that's that's crucial. Cost of doing business in the country is going up. And, you know, when that happens, it will reflect in prices. At the same time, you know, we can't emphasize this enough, making sure that there's holistic investment in the whole agri-value chain, from the seedling, from the inputs to the production, production systems, then the storage systems, to the distribution. All of those have to happen. But those things don't happen overnight. If you make those investments today, it might take you at least six months before you start seeing the benefit. So we have to do more investment. And then think about the, you know, think more broadly about how things are working in the economy, not just focus on one, one aspect. I'm grateful, uh, gentlemen, Dr. Patrick Isumi and also uh, Professor Lord Mentor for joining the conversation. I will stay on the economy before, because uh, Ghana's uh, housing deficit uh, was expected to hit some two million Last year, yet join news checks from the 2021 population and housing census is revealing close to 1.3 million housing units in Ghana have been left 
unoccupied uh, within the greater Accra, Ashanti and uh, eastern regions alone, holding more than 50% uh, of those vacant uh, houses that we're talking about. Uh, fortunately, Kofi Ajay is still with us uh, for us to just uh, look at the figures. quite staggering, at, particularly at the time when uh, there's a surge in demand for housing. Mm-hmm. Of course. In fact, if you look at our housing deficit, it was projected that it will move from that 1.7 million housing unit to close to 2 million in 2022. We've experienced this, but it's also important to note that as we speak, there are currently somewhere around 10 million housing units in Ghana, and about 1.2 million of these housing units or houses are empty or not being occupied by anybody, yeah, probably because of the issue of affordability or whatever. But it's also important to note that according to the UN, for instance, if you spend a close to more than 30% of your monthly, annual, monthly or annual income on housing, then that housing or rent or whatever doesn't become affordable. We've seen governments rolling, roll out a lot of these housing uh, policies. We've seen uh, so many of them, and some of them have been left in the bushes and then all of that. But... The country still, we still have this 2 million housing units. Some of them are available, but the issue has always been affordability. For instance, in the greater Accra region where people rent more than build, and if you look at, it's still leading in terms of the region with the highest number of empty dwelling units, more than close to somewhere around 300,000 empty houses in the greater Accra region. It's not as if people don't want to live in those houses, but it's simply because they can't afford it or they are in areas that, you know... Um, no, the point is about affordability, whether, whichever way you look at now, it, because, it, it, I mean, j- just imagine, yeah. um, some houses going for rent in foreign currencies mm-hmm. in Ghana. Mm-hmm. That's against the law. Just right? rent, not even buying, right? Yes. Absolutely. And if, 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 you, if you put some sort of strain on affordability, then people will look for alternatives. Yeah. So the data, for instance, says that only about 78.7% of the houses in Ghana we have are conventional, which means they are properly, you know, um, a belt or something for, for, for people to, to stay in. But there are other people also looking out for alternatives. So people are now living in um, containers. So we have about 2.8% of our population living in or, or our housing structure being kiosks. We have about 0.9% of them being others, and we have about 8% also being metal containers, and about 9.9.7% of them being wooden structures. So the question has always been, or the problem has always been, affordability. So the, the estimate is that the housing deficit is around 2 million housing units. And just imagine, 2 million housing units, if you decide to subtract 1.2 million houses that are vacant currently, you realize that if you are able to um, make these houses affordable for, for people to live in, just by doing that alone can bring down the housing deficit. But as it stands now, people are not able to, to afford homes. They, are, they can't afford rent. They are spending more than 30% of their monthly or annual you know, income or salary on housing, which makes this, um, you know, expenditure not sustainable or affordable. Uh, Isaac is just giving you a prelude to why you need to be at this year's uh, Echo Bank Joy News Habitat uh, 
fair and of course uh, get your housing problems solved uh, so make your way to first of all uh, tema this friday uh, for our next uh, minute clinic which is coming near you we definitely uh, have a fantastic package coming your way thanks for staying with us here on the polls when we get back lots of stories for you including the limited registration exercise uh, taking place across the country it's coming up That's true. It can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow. It has a working surface like this. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I can see S-I-N-T-E-S syntax. That is so true, my daughter. When it falls down, it will spoil That's not true. But why? Hey! Syntex <laughs> was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest warranty seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? Hello, my name is Abeku Agri Santana. If there's anything that makes my life so easy, it is my bank. I love hanging out with my boys' boys at our usual fufu joint. But even without cash, we still the chop better with EcoBank Mobile. No matter the time of day, my bank helps me stay in touch with my beautiful wife whenever she's away. And when my beautiful wife is in town, she never misses out on her favorite TV shows because I'm able to pay up all my TV subscriptions from the comfort of my mobile phone. Whenever she has to get groceries too, my bank makes it cashless and convenient. And the part my wife loves the most is when my bank makes it possible and easy for her to shop from any part of the world without moving. <laughs> Welcome to the smart world of EcoBank. Download EcoBank Mobile from Google Play Store or the App Store and discover the smart way to bank. EcoBank, the Pan African Bank. Welcome to Tema, the industrial gem of Ghana. Attention, all dreamers, investors, and home seekers. Mark your calendar for the next clinic of the EcoBank Joy News Habitat Fair. Imagine waking up to stunning waterfront views, basking in the warmth of the sun, and embracing the comfort of a home perfectly tailored to your needs. Discover a range of housing options that cater to every budget and lifestyle. From sleek contemporary designs to elegant traditional architecture, the Ecoband Join News Habitat Fair has it all. But wait, there's more. This fair isn't just about buying a home, it's also about enhancing the spaces we live in. Get financial solutions to acquire furniture for that beautiful home, electronic devices, and more. Our dedicated team of real estate experts and banking partners are here. 
to guide you every step of the way, making your journey to home ownership smooth and stress-free. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to make your dreams come true. Join us at the Teme edition of the Ecobank Joy News Habitat Fair, where possibilities are limitless. The Ecobank Joy News Habitat Fair 2023 is powered by the Plant City Extension Project from Cities and Habitats and sponsored by... I came home earlier than I normally would that fateful Monday after work. And to my surprise, I saw my husband and my mother having sex in our living room. I had always suspected my wife. I felt she had something doing with my little brother. And I walked into a room one day, and there they were, making out. And this is my blood brother. A husband, who is a banker, will not have sex with me because I denied him my earnest. Is he gay? I've been wondering. What is your story? What secret is eating you up? Why are you having continual sleepless nights? Do you need help? Share your story on our powerful new series where real people share their deepest secrets on Prime Morning beginning this September. Drop your stories on our WhatsApp number 055-157-5757. Remember, a problem shared is a problem half solved. And every problem has a solution. Uh, on nearly 200 consumer products and food samples uh, in Ghana has revealed very worrying levels of lead contamination to uh, the popular, uh, in the popular um, metallic cookware known as Dadisane. Uh, the study conducted by the environmental NGO Pure at Black Meat, uh, Blacksmith uh, Initiative actually revealed disturbing uh, levels of uh, lead uh, in very a common uh, consumer product. Uh, we'll shortly hear from uh, the country director for Pure Earth, uh, who's uh, Esmond uh, Wisdom Kwanza. But first, though, here are uh, details of some of the findings uh, out of that uh, research that was conducted, excerpts uh, of which you have on your screens now, uh, pointing to the levels of uh, lead contamination. Um, we start off with uh, 10% of uh, 193 samples uh, which were conducted. Uh, actually containing some levels of lead uh, contamination above the thresholds that were being dealt with. And then there's also uh, the issue about, you know, the metallic port leading uh, the other cookwares that you have. So you find the ceramic footwear and toys as well as cosmetics uh, following through in terms of uh, the levels of contamination out of that range of four products that you see there. And uh, the 
metallic port leading with, uh, you know, staggering 55% in terms of the contamination rate. So what could be done to check this and what's the way forward as uh, the Pure Earth uh, Group is recommending. Joining us now is Country Director for the group, uh, Esmond uh, Wisdom Kwanza, who's joining us uh, now with more. Uh, thank you, sir, for spending some time with us. Now it's 55%. Who knows? Uh, maybe the figures could surge um, in the coming years. But what recommendation are you making to check that? Thank you very much uh, for this opportunity to share, to throw more light on, on the findings of the Pure Earth Rapid Market Screening uh, Project. As you have indicated, the study reveals a very worrying uh, trend of uh, lead concentration in some consumable uh, products, especially the, the locally manufactured that is sent. Um, I think one thing I need to clarify is that we are not putting this um, study in the public domain to put fear into people. But what we're seeking to do is to collectively find a solution to this uh, canker of lead pollution and lead poisoning so that together we can address it. And so as you, uh, you might be aware, this research was done in 25 countries and over 5,000 um, consumer products were, were sampled. Here in Ghana, uh, 195 consumer products were sampled. In four regions, the Greater Accra, Eastern Region, um, Takradi, the Western Region, and the Ashanti Region. Mm. Our recommendations are simple. I think a lot of work needs to be done. Uh, we're calling on the government and agencies to intensify black lead level uh, screening across the country to ascertain the actual levels of um, lead poisoning in, in the population. Two, we are asking for intensified home-based source assessment. Now we know, as a result of the study, that some of these metallic uh, cookwares have lead poisoning above uh, lead contamination or concentration above the reference level. We're talking about 55% here. And you know, bless, one thing I, I need to state is that our investigators or our scientists went further to conduct a leachate test. Now, the leachate test uh, actually reveal the amount of lead that can actually leach into the food. Now, 52% of the ports tested leached in concentration greater than the reference levels of 10 micrograms per deciliter. That's worrying. 52% of the ports tested leach in concentrations greater than the reference levels of 10 micrograms per deciliter. Now, that's worrying. Some would ask, what procedure did you use to arrive at this? The procedure was simple. The pot were filled with water containing acetic acid, which is probably called vinegar, and boiled for two hours to simulate cooking. Then the water uh, was analyzed in the laboratory for uh, lead uh, contamination. Now, that was done six different times, and then the results were very clear that the lead concentration in this aluminum pot or this metallic cookware does actually leach into the water. Okay, there's someone. So that means that I guess, we are and, all I guess, at risk. and I guess there's someone watching us now saying you're just throwing figures around. Uh, I mean, wh- what's what's the effect on my stomach? Because I eat every day. I, I of course I use the same cooking ware. What's the big deal after all? Yeah. So the big deal, based on our finding, is that twenty percent of the pot tested in theory. Mm-hmm will result in appreciable blood lead level increase in children. Wow. We're talking about blood levels 
as, as more than 3.5 micrograms per deciliter if food is consumed from them on daily basis. But the good news is that uh-huh. we are engaging the regulatory authorities. We met EPA yesterday uh, to discuss the finding. Today we met with Ghana Standard Authority. I think what we need uh, to do is to strengthen regulation. I think they need to be uh, established uh, framework that actually regulate the activities of these metallic cookware manufacturers. Okay, I tend to, you know, uh, see the danger here. Uh, but then, you know, how about technology and new ways of cooking? Uh, I guess that, that's another uh, remedial point we could be looking at, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. That's the, the new ways. Now, what I wanted to also put out there is that it's not all metallic cookware that are, uh, let me say, have a lot of lead concentration levels. We're talking about some levels that are quite good. We're talking about the steel uh, cooking pot, for example, are quite good, but they are very expensive. Now, what we've realized in our study is that the most uh, concentrated lead findings are in this cottage uh, manufacturing uh, companies where they just manufacture this, this cookwares from this aluminum crafts crafts. That is concerning. What we're telling the public is that be careful where you buy your, your metallic cookware from. I mean, if you buy it from a very uh, cheap area at a very cheaper cost, the risk is that this metallic cookware may have lead concentration that may be anemical to your health and your children's health. So the good thing is that make sure you get a proper uh, a metallic cookware and you are sure that you probably are not as rich as rich, rich risk of, of, of uh, lead leaching into your food. I guess this is why we need regulation, as you're pointing to, uh, because uh, technical issues here for the average Ghanaian to um, just uh, see on the streets or off the shelf that this is a highly concentrated uh, cookware for me. The, the, the inability of, of the citizen to check is where we are limited now. So, so don't you think so? I perfectly agree. I think uh, aside this study, we've done another study, which also reveals alarming blood lead levels in children under five years. And one thing I can assure you, uh, with our engagement with stakeholders, Ghana Health Service, uh, EPA, and today we met with Ghana Standard Authorities, that we are determined uh, to be able to put in regulations and framework okay. to keep the alarming rate of this uh, lead pollution and poisoning in, in, in the country. It's a global issue, and a lot of uh, people don't know much about this. It's, it's just a new phenomenon, and people are very much concerned how do we do. You know, we have lead in, 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 in gasoline. It was just phased off in Ghana in 2004. Now, the focus is on some of these uh, metallic uh, foodware that have probably led in, in, in the concentration in them. And I think we are shining light on this so that together we can support the government and the stakeholders to ensure that the proper frameworks and regulations are in place to address this situation once and for all. So it's not fear and panic at all, but it's just awareness creation and also looking for ways and means. Mm. Okay, I, I get the point. Uh... Which cookware do you use, by the way? Just being curious. 
<laughs> that, that's 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 a big question. I think we all we all eat yeah. and, and and eat from this. All right then, uh, Piers. We're having some challenge uh, with, uh, of course, the country director of your Earth, uh, Esmond Wisdom, uh, who uh, was joining us there on Zoom. Quite an interesting um, finding there in the report. Well, uh, Ghana, we know in recent times, uh, of course, has experienced uh, devastating impacts of uh, floods, especially in major cities of the country. Uh, the rainfall distribution. In the next uh, two weeks, according to the Meteo Agency, uh, may lead to more localized uh, flooding in low-lying areas, while other places will be experiencing rains above uh, the normal uh, on climate uh, focus. Of course, Kofia uh, Dudonfet is examining if uh, communities and individuals are prepared to develop resilience and also adapt to climate change. The rains have come down heavy in the past months. In most instances, floods causing havoc. Communities have been inundated. People stranded. Properties and lives have been lost. The rains could be worse in the weeks ahead, according to the Ghana Meteorological Agency. We know that the flood issues that we get here are not just based on the amount of rainfall that comes but also because of some conditions that are not so much um, well to cater for the effects or the impacts of the rains that we see in, in the southern portions of Ghana. Also for places in the northern portions, um, we're seeing the Barbada spirit having some effects on them. So our east, northeast, are all seeing some flood issues, not because of the amount of rainfall coming into their area, but because Bagre um, is full and then has been opened and then this village is causing those flood issues. So we should be worried because the issues that we get are not just um, limited to the amount of rainfall that we get. Perhaps it's, um, it's more like a compound um, effect. So it depends on other um, activities or events as well. So we should be worried and then be cautious as we enter the minor rainfall season especially for us in Southern Ghana. The extremes of the season, heightened by illegal mining activities, expose communities to health and environmental risks. Agricultural production and livelihoods of farmers are adversely impacted. The forests help us to access water, but when the forests are destroyed, we get starved of our source of water supply. Building resilience is still far from rich. The few natural support systems are under attack by the powerful and affluent in society. Churches, fuel stations, industrial and real estate are harming wetlands and water bodies. Urban and peri-urban trees and greens are sacrificed for commercial construction projects. Environmental analyst Eugene Osei-Tutu says this should not continue if Ghana is to adapt efficiently to climate change. They must ensure that people are not building in waterways, people are not you know, creating uh, community centers, you know, artificial pitches and all these uh, things that you see in our communities on waterways. You must also do um, respect the various zones that are the Ramsia side, the wetlands and all that, which are being developed to all sorts of things. The various district assemblies must ensure that these areas are protected because they serve as a carbon sink of a sort and as well as a reservoir to you know, absorb excess rain when this time of the um, 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 the season kicks in. 
the government's quest to encourage tree planting under the Green Ghana project has been lauded. This, however, will make little impact if the natural environment is attacked with impunity, without recourse to the collective right to consume good air, build resistance to ill health, and develop sustainably as a people. If we do things right, we'll be able to free our gutters and the runoff will be able to um, find its own smooth way to move. You cannot stop water from um, flowing. And so if you stop it from one point, we'll find another way to um, flow. And that is what causes the flood issues that we see here. So we should do that. Another thing is that we should try and um, find ways of collecting water Rainwater, um, rain harvesting is one way to also stop flood issues that we, we have here. So, as we're going into the minor rainfall season where we'll be getting lots of rainfall, you could be collecting water in your own homes in, in any way. Uh, some could be just by having some grasses or trees around, which will stop the rainwater for some time and then take time to. Um, infiltrate into the ground. When you look at the uh, historical data from the Ghana Meteorological Agency, the volume of rain hasn't really changed much, but it's about the human activities, the improper disposal of waste, meaning that the various individuals in the communities must adequately dispose of their waste. There must be beans for them to do that. Also, the district assemblies and the local entities must ensure that these waste are collected promptly so that people will not be compelled to put these rubbish you know, in, in gutters. There must also be you know, proper zoning of lands. You know that when you go to certain communities, how they are building, they are building haphazardly. There must be uh, respect of zonal markets, and these can be done by the judicial assembly, not necessarily the central government. Indeed, the realities of climate change are dawning, but the systems for adaptation remain elusive. For Joy News, Kofi Edudumfer reporting. Now, Vice President Dr. Mahmoud Obama has charged uh, churches uh, in the country to make uh, churches a place where people can seek solace in times of hardship. According to him, uh, the core business of the church is to help people who are in need to overcome their troubles. He was speaking at the commissioning of an ultra-modern 16-story facility. Methodist Church Ghana has commissioned and dedicated the Wesley Tower in Accra. The 16-story facility has two basement floors, 14 offices which will house all directorates, two church auditoriums, suites, hospital and other essential facilities. We of God Almighty, we accept the keys to the building. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The edifice was constructed by the China State Hualong Construction Company, Ghana Limited. Speaking at the commission, Vice President Dr. Mahmoud Baumia says the Wesley Towers provides a grade A office block for the Methodist Church and is optimistic that the edifice will serve as a source of hope and transformation for all who enter. This day is a testament to the unwavering faith, dedication, and commitment of the entire membership of the Methodist Church Ghana. It is a day of reflection, of thanksgiving, and of looking forward to the bright future that awaits us 
within these walls. This Wesley Towers is not just a physical structure. It is a symbol of our faith, a beacon of hope. Presiding Bishop of the Methodist Church, the Most Reverend Dr. Paul Kwabenabwafo says, the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic affected the completion date, but through prayers, dedication, and financial donations from partners, investors, and members of the Methodist Church Ghana, the facility has been completed. Carrying Obin's report read to you. It is with great joy that we gather to invoke God's blessings upon Wesley Towers, a symbol of God's spirit, a symbol of enduring hope and unwavering faith of the Methodist people. Our smiles will not grow cold today and the days to come as we lift up our eyes to see this facility, as we come to share our work here in this facility, as we stand here to also propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. This is what the Lord has done. And we can say, indeed, it calls for celebration. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we unveil this flag to commission the Wesley Towers. Amen. And of course, uh, we now have to uh, cross you over to the headquarters of the New Patriotic Party, uh, where we understand the party is holding a press briefing right now. Uh, we'll bring you pictures live from uh, the NPP headquarters uh, and also listening to the address being made. Well, Avaji, if you can hear me, what's the latest and what's happening there? Okay, blessed. So, uh, just a while ago, the chairman for the presidential elections committee, uh, Professor Aaron Michael Quay, has just announced uh, the balloting results for the four aspirants uh, for the flag bearership of the New Patriotic Party. Uh, we know that uh, somewhere last week the committee attempted to do this balloting but this didn't uh, happen because uh, the committee as well as the uh, members or the aspirant raised were not able to uh, iron out some differences. The, uh, some of the aspirants we heard from that meeting raised some concerns about uh, the way forward. We know that after the uh, Superdelegate Congress uh, conference the, some of them were not pleased with the modalities uh, of the uh, elections and so they raised those concerns put some demands on the table those were not uh, immediately addressed by the committee and so that initial attempt last week hasn't uh, uh, yielded any fruitful result and so today uh, the committee met again with the aspirant and those who were not present their uh, representatives in order uh, to do the balloting and at the end of uh, the balloting uh, uh, doc, uh, the 
MP for Asin Central, uh, Kennedy Ejepon, actually came again at the first position, uh, just as he did uh, leading to the Superdelegate Congress. Uh, Dr. Mahmoud Baumia, the Vice President, came second, and then the uh, former Greek Minister, Dr. Akoto uh, Efriye, came third position, and uh, Engineer Adai Nemo came fourth uh, on that ballot. And so that is the order in which they will be appearing on the ballot paper uh, uh, in the November uh, Delegate Congress. That will be selecting one of them to carry the flag of the MPP going into the 2024 elections. Now, in addition to that, uh, the chairman for the Presidential uh, Elections Committee, Professor Aaron Michael Quay, also outlined some modalities uh, on which the uh, next elections will be held. For instance, uh, he emphasized that none of the candidates will be allowed to do any form of campaign for any of the delegates. We know that the Electoral College now has been expanded so much to involve all members of the party uh, across the country. And so uh, that was drum home uh, uh, to all the presidential aspirants. Uh, another modality is that there will not be uh, the allowance for the request of any proxy vote and so that is another modality that was outlined and so uh, the uh, candidate who were present uh, Kennedy Japan himself was present as well as uh, engineer Adainimo were all present in my interaction with Kennedy Japan he says that he coming uh, at the first position again signals that he is destined for this. He is destined to carry the flag of the NPP to win the 2024 election as president of Ghana. And so that is the meaning he's been reading into his first position for the second time. Uh, Mr. Adai Nimo thinks that that is not important. Position on the ballot paper is not important. What is needed is how you will be able to sell your message to the delegate as a candidate. That is the most important thing. And that is what he's focusing on. And so that's what they've been saying about that. Blessed. So that's been what's been going on at the party headquarters. Uh, in a, a, a short while, uh, the party again will be addressing the media on the uh, cocoa price that was the, uh, announced by the president uh, some few days ago. Okay. And so we are looking forward to that as well. We see, we see about that. Um, of course, Jane Savage is still there at the headquarters of the NPP for us. Uh, and uh, in a remarkable display of uh, community service and Christ-like compassion in action, the Empowerment Worship Center hosted the annual medical uh, outreach and back-to-school program, Life Check, uh, powered by the Empowerment uh, Care Foundation. The event, which took place on Saturday, uh, the 9th uh, of September 2023, saw a dedication and a dedicated team of uh, healthcare professionals, volunteers, and also members of the Empowerment Worship Center come together to provide vital medical services to the community. The Life Check 2023 uh, was a testament to the church's commitment to holistic empowerment. There's more in this report. We in empowerment believe that salvation is in threefold. We are saved, we are being saved, we shall be saved. Instant, continuous and final. And salvation has three dimensions. The spiritual salvation, the soul salvation, and in the body salvation. So you are saved spiritually, and then you are saved 
so in the realm of the soul, which is your mind, your emotions, and then and then the body salvage, which is your physical human well-being. So the vision of life check has come about from a big understanding of the full package of salvation. Really impacting people's life, not just spiritually, but also physically. Taking care of people, reaching out people, being a blessing to people, people's life changing and transforming um, to the original place that God intended them to be. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. The Bible says that and of some um, and having compassion, making a difference. The Bible says whosoever has this worldly goods and shatters the bowels of his compassion where the other love of God in you. Um, so compassion is the feeling of sympathy for people and the move to want to do something about it. So life check is about just the compassion for human being and human life and what people really need. At least not only in the physical, but not only in the spiritual, but also in the physical um, and, and, and in transforming their lives. Okay, we've seen a multitude of people around. Mm. Which communities are they coming from? Well, they have come from everywhere. They have come from Mamobi, they have come from Achimota, they have come from, some have come from Lima, they have come from all kinds of places. They have walked from far and near because people just just want to be helped. And, and, and so and so we reach out and we put it out there and they have come. And we have been doing this for some years now. So people sort of know and they know what to receive, what they get from when they come. And that's all we have for you in this package of the polls. Uh, log on to myjoyaline.com for more stories. And let's just go. Thanks for your company. We'll see you again. Bye-bye.